Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. We are on our series for uh, called Under the Influence. And today I want to talk about Under the Influence of Joy. And, uh, you know, joy has been a challenge the last couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah, it might be understatement of the week. You know, joy has been a challenge. And I think, um, I think it's actually, the challenge is we've confused happiness with joy. And, and uh, what we, I think more than ever, this, these types of events give us the opportunity to realize where we have built on something. Um, we've built on circumstance. We've, we've put our hope on outcomes, but joy is deeper than that. Joy is, Paul wrote some of his most joyful writings from prison, and now some, lots of us relate to what that might have actually <laughs> been like, <clears throat> but uh, we're in this area, Advent, my, my daughter used some of my points this morning, I was quite surprised as she as she gave her exhortation, it literally means arrival. And uh, it means it's, and Advent is about preparing for the arrival of the king. It's preparing for the arrival of the king. It's, uh, it's found, one of the scriptures that it's found, uh, Matthew 3, 3, where John the Baptist said, prepare um, the road for the, or speaking of John the Baptist, prepare the road for the eternal one's journey, repair and straighten out every mile of our God's highway. It's about preparing the way for what God wants to do in our lives. It's, about, it's a season of reflection. Advent's to be a season where we look at what are the things that, uh, what are the barriers that I have put up in my life to the life of God? What are the things that I have, what are the barriers in our lives that we've put up against uh, King Jesus arriving in our lives and, and working in our lives? It's about recognizing where we've allowed, you know, thinking of the world or the world systems to, uh, to control our, our, or fill our lives, where we're looking to things to fill what's missing in us rather than to... Th- uh, rather than to God or to the way God has established things to fill what's missing in us. And, uh, you know, the scripture, Isaiah 9, it says, The people who've been living in darkness have seen a great light, and the light of life has shined down on those who dwelt in the shadow, shadowy darkness of death. Advent is about realizing God has shone a great light into the world. And we want to allow that light to, to, to undo the despair, to undo the misery, the desolation, the hopelessness, the anguish, and allow his joy and his hope to to take hold. You know, we can't be light, but we can prepare for light. You know, we can't make joy, but we can prepare our lives for joy. We can make room for joy. And Advent's about realizing that God came to bring these things to us. He came to bring these things to earth. And, uh, you know, the, it's, it's, like I said earlier, I think we need to recognize where we've confused happiness with joy. 
or where we've confused joy with happiness. Now, happiness is a, it's a, te- it's a temporary experience that's based on circumstance. You know, you win the lottery, you're happy. A circumstance, but if you go follow up with a lot of people that won the lottery a couple years later, they're not happy anymore. Because it, it doesn't change our hearts. Circumstances don't change our hearts. Joy is deeper. Joy becomes a part of our very nature. Joy becomes a part of our very outlook and foundation on life. And joy is the result of having a deep spiritual and a deep relational life. And uh, there's a, you know, the, the, the desire and the pursuit for happiness or the, the pursuing of happiness, it can actually distract us from the deeper work of having uh, a, a deep spiritual life. And a great, great quote from Ronald Rollheiser, he says, Today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate where it's, it's difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but to simply have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like to have these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have these show up on our radar screens. We're more busy than bad. We're more distracted than non-spiritual. And, uh, you know, the, the, the message of, of Christ is that Christ came to bring depth and substance to our spirit. That, that, trans, that leaves us transformed. Not just the power of a positive attitude. Although a positive attitude will do you good. But it's much deeper than just a positive attitude. And, uh, you know, the, the, the difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is something we pursue while joy, true joy is something we make room for. It's the difference between taking and receiving. See, happiness is when we're taking, but joy is when we're receiving. We, they, they seem similar, but they're actually opposites. See, happiness can become an idol that we seek to take for ourselves at any cost. And in the, in the process, we end up losing hope and joy. But true joy comes from receiving the promise that God has given to us. And it comes, it comes from some, some other things that we're going to look at that, that, create, that create that joy in our lives. You know, true joy and experience come from, uh, from, from having a focus that's more than just circumstances. It's from having a focus on the eternal. You know, it's interesting that the disciples were sent out and they came back to give their report to Jesus, and they said, wow, like we saw miracles, we saw blind eyes open, and then they made this comment, and we even saw demons. Demons had to obey us in your name. And, and it's funny, because Jesus didn't high-five them. It's like, yeah, down with the demons. It's like, <laughs> he said, don't rejoice that the demons were subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And he was just taking them in this moment, actually in a moment where they were experiencing physical or 
experiential success, and he actually took it and refocused them to say, you need to, look, you need to look past just the circumstance, and you need to see the eternal. You need to, you need to, you need to base your life on the eternal. If you want to live a life of joy, it's don't focus on what's right now, but focus on the eternal. Allow joy, allow the eternal joy to grow in our lives. And you know, everything that God does to, to work in our lives is like the unfolding of a story. And when, when God starts working in our life, it's, it starts small. It's almost anticlimactic. Here we have, like, even the arrival of Jesus. You know, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the greatest, you know, the greatest king of all time. And, and, and he arrives, and he, he's a baby. It's like, here you have the, the angels appear to the shepherds in the field, and I bring you tidings of great joy. There shall be a king born to all people. And, and, there's this, and then the, the shepherds, wow, we're going to go see. And they, it's a baby. <laughs> and sometimes when God works in our life, we expect, you know, we get told the king of kings is arriving. This event, this promise, it's this huge the event that's going to happen in our life, this is, this is going to be great. And then we, it's a baby. It's just small. It's not what we expected. It's not, like, how's a baby going to save me? How's this going to rescue me? How's this going to bring freedom from sin, freedom from bondage? When God arrives, his promise arrives, it's almost anticlimactic. But it, it just, it takes time. There's a story that has to unfold in our lives. And joy is like a story. It's the story of God that's being written into our lives and our heart. And, and so, so important, we pay attention to the story that we're allowing to take root in our heart. And I want to I wanna give, actually, this is, this is kind of just a practical, a practical precursor to, to joy, is that, um, you know, there's some, the world in which we live in has become um, addicted to circumstance. We've become, and this is just human nature. This is the way, this is the way we, but it, it's in terms of we, from just, just from a practical point of view, we have become addicted to dopamine as a people. Now, dopamine is, it's, that's what's released in your, in your, in your bloodstream, or it, it's, it's a hormone that's released that makes you happy, but it doesn't last very long, so you need more. So it makes you happy quickly. And, and whereas we have serotonin, which makes us satisfied and content. The, pr the problem is, is that serotonin and dopamine, they, we actually need both, but they, they come from very different sources. And dopamine, it's short-lasting. It, it's... It, it, brings, it's, it brings pleasure, but it's achieved with substances and consumption, and it leads to addiction. 
Dopamine makes us happy in the moment, but it doesn't last. We're left wanting more. And this is the, this is the current cultural climate of our day, especially online, social media, the majority of our news services or news providers, they're, they're triggering dopamine. That, that, that quick hit that makes you click, makes you, creates that reaction, that Instagram like, that Facebook like, that's dopamine. Big Mac and fries. <laughs> that's dopamine. Porn. It's dopamine. Gambling. It's dopamine. It's that rush. It's that thrill. There's a great quote from uh, Anna Lemke who wrote Dopamine Nation. Dopamine Nation, finding balance in the age of indulgence. And she says this, and she says, because we've transformed the world from a place of scarcity to a place of overwhelming abundance, drugs, food, news, gambling, shopping, gaming, texting, sexting, Facebook, Instagramming, YouTubing, tweeting, the increased numbers, variety, the potency of highly rewarding stimuli today is staggering. The smartphone is the modern day hypodermic needle delivering digital dopamine 24-7 for a wired generation. And then she says elsewhere, the, it's basically this, this dopamine is the pursuit of immediate pleasure. It's this pursuit of immediate gratification. All addiction is driven by dopamine. And it, it says this, the paradox is that the pursuit of pleasure for its own sake leads uh, to anhedonia, which is the reduced or the, the complete diminishment of the ability to experience pleasure. So this, this dopamine-driven culture that we're living in is actually taking, a, it's actually taking away our ability to experience pleasure. And it's the, versus the serotonin, which is, serotonin brings focus, it brings calm. It brings satisfaction. This is the way God has wired us. When we seek happiness, we end up with something that ends up driving us to something we can't actually fulfill. But when we seek satisfaction, we can actually, we, he, he's wired us to be able to find it, but we don't find it through stimuli. We find it, this it, serotonin, is experienced in social groups. Serotonin is not experienced with substances. And here's the thing, serotonin protects us from addiction. It brings focus and calm. What are things that, that generate serotonin? Want exercise, serotonin. Uh, eating a meal with family or friends. Having coffee with a friend, going for a walk. With others, these are things that produce serotonin in our lives. Spending time with others. So, I think you know when you look at the last two years, basically everything that builds serotonin, we were told to stop doing, <laughs> and everything that stimulates dopamine is all we had left as we sat at home, and. And, and we, you know what, I don't need to go into commentary on what we've seen happen in our society in the last two years. I think we're all pretty much self-aware. 
of what's happened to us as a society. And we've seen some very terrible social developments take place. And I'm not talking about our opinion on masking or vaxxing or any of those. I'm talking about how we have decided to relate to one another as people. It's scary. And why is that? Well, it's because we all went into isolation and all we had was our dopamine and all the things that built serotonin that bring calm and, and uh, stability and health, internal health. And so I, I think more than ever, these practices to build joy, uh, practices that we have, you know, we've talked a lot in the last two years about spiritual practices, things routines and rhythms to get into our life that that produce good things good fruit in our lives and uh there's here's some things practical things i'm just a practical guy so i'm going to talk about some practical things to build joy in your life and and i know you guys all love it when i talk about this but have a planned routine for exercise <laughs> it's uh it's really funny because because when when you know somebody who starts exercising, they become a bit of a fanatic, don't they? They do. There's a reason for that. Serotonin. <laughs> because it actually does help you. And a person who gets into a routine, now that if you talk to them after one or two days of working out, they're not talking great things about it because they're in pain and their muscles hurt. But when a person gets into a routine, they... It, it actually does help bring joy. And I want to I encourage you, that physical activity will actually help you experience joy in, in life. It will it'll help you have a healthier outlook. It'll, it'll, help you, it'll help you have the rest, help, it'll help you with the rest of your day and week to, to have that peace and that calm. Okay, I'm done with the exercise. <laughs> Uh, but here's another one that I think that, you know, in past generations, we never had to tell people to do this. But this is, this is something that's actually a struggle now, is that the practice of eating a meal with others. Eating a meal with others. And, and, and uh, you know, I thought as we were going into, as we were going into COVID, I realized that as, like, my eating habits were mostly alone. Like, I ate just to get food, to sustain myself so I could keep working. It was a lot of, basically a lot of my habits. And in the last couple years, uh, we, we made the commitment in our home is that every day we eat a meal together. Sometimes that's a struggle. And if, you, if you're busy and you work, but what happens is, it was when we when we eat a meal together we're taking we're forcing ourselves to break our lives out of that individual life into communal living and if and it's not just eating with the families eating with others it forces us out of that individualistic lifestyle and it forces us into healthy communal living there was a study done by the barna group and it was a study done on successful Fam or families that had vibrant relationships, and they said there's one commonality between all of the families that have, that have healthy, vibrant relationships, and it's this. They had a loud table. <laughs> they had a loud table. In other words, they ate together. It was noisy. It was messy. And it was healthy. 
And I think of, of all the things that, like, long before COVID was ever here, is that the eating together was, was something that was missing from my life. And, and as, we, as we committed to this, I re, we, we began to experience this, um, experience the, the strengthening of relationships, this place where we just, we get to leave the, the, the individualism of our day and come together and encourage one another. And, and, and uh, some, some days conversations are deep and profound. Some days they're not, but in everything, you're, you're sharing life together. Um, uh, one, of, one author calls eating together a keystone habit, and it's, it's this, it's a habit, a keystone habit is this, it's a, ha- it's a habit that supports other good habits. It's, it's the habit that when you do it, it actually helps other habits to form in your life. And you know, it's interesting in Scripture, is rarely in, in Scripture is food referred to in the context of nourishment. In most contexts, it's always leading towards a relationship with God or a relationship with others. A, a common table is what we're invited to. Jim Wilder says this, when we're able to stay relationally connected to others and to God, we are able to experience joy even when we suffer. I think it's so important in a, in a season where um, despair has been real. Despair has been forceful. It's remembering that God's gift to us is a path out. But that path is not a path alone. It's a path that he's given us to walk together. So as we share meals together, as we, as we, as we share these moments together, this is actually the path out together the path through together. And then the the last practice I want to encourage us with today is the practice of practicing gratitude. Sometimes, you know, there's some families that have the traditions of Thanksgiving of like everybody say something you're thankful for. We this hasn't been a tradition in our home. It's a great tradition. If you do it, it's it's a good idea. But you you know everybody get, say something you're thankful for and 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 uh, you know sometimes you have to sit there and think for a while, don't you? You know everybody lists something you're thankful for and and there there's times that you have to you realize that almost in a way we've been conditioned not to be grateful. The world around us, the, the advert, and, and a big part of it is because if you're grateful, then you're content. And content people don't have a drive to consume more. And so, you know, our advertising media world, it's very, it's very driven to, to not help us experience contentment in life. But practicing gratitude, here's the first Thessalonians 5.18, it says this, in the midst of everything Always be giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's perfect plan for you right now? Give thanks. Gratitude. Give thanks. And it, gratitude, if I could word it in a certain way, gratitude is the discipline of taking the current story of our lives and telling it to ourselves or retelling it to ourselves in light of the promise of God. It's retelling 
the story of ourself to ourself. And this is important because we become like the stories we tell ourselves. We become, we, we, start, to, we start to reflect the story of ourself that we tell ourselves. We're, we're formed by the stories that we tell each other. And the story we, we tell ourselves is what shapes us. And it, what's kind of spurred this on is a conversation I had had with someone uh, earlier in the year that had experienced, um, experienced a lot of trouble with bullying growing up and, and was some, something that was very formative in their life. And it, and, and it was interesting because I was, I, I was thinking about this as we were talking and, and I thought, you know, I was, I was bullied like up till about grade eight. I was bullied a lot as a kid. You, it's hard to imagine, but I was actually in grade seven, I was the second shortest kid in my class. And, and I was, I was pudgy. So bully fodder, basically, is, and, but, but growing up, I never, like, that wasn't the story I told myself. And, and so it, it's like, it, it's like something very, like eight years of kind of really negative, but it, it's like it never took, it never took anchor. And, and I think, you know, looking back, I thought, well, why didn't, like, why in one person's life does an experience lead them to a certain disposition, where in another person's life, the same experience leads to a totally different outlook on the world? And I think that, well, well the difference is, is how do we tell the story to ourselves? How do we tell this story to ourselves? We need to pay attention to the themes of our stories. David said, my heart is filled with a good theme. Good themes cultivate joy. They help us live from an outlook of gratitude, an outlook of joy. And you know, we, we all view our world through stories, but not all stories are equal or good. We need to learn to, to tell the good stories of what's happening in our life. And there's the, uh, J.D. had talked about that book there, Habits of the Household, which by the way, if you're parents with young children, this is the book I wish I had when our kids were young. Just, just do yourself a favor and pick it up. But even teenage children, it is just a great book. Anyways, he talks, he talks about this story where his, one of his sons uh, had an accident on the playground and then, at, and like got a big gash on his arm. And he, he looked I think he was working at the time. He looked at his son and realized, this is serious. I need to get him to the ER right now and get, like, this bleeding needs to be stopped right now. And he, he tells the story of how he realized, like, as this process was unfolding, he needed to, um, he realized, I need to frame how my son views this event because uh, this can become a traumatic event or this can become something that, that, that is in the right, in frame, if it's framed in the right light, it can be a beneficial experience in his life. And, and so as he went, took him to the doctor, ended up getting the stitches, and then, and then going for ice cream after. 
And so at first, uh, when his son tells the story, it's like, you know, all the tears, all the sobs, you know, his hurt, is bleeding, there's blood everywhere. It's, it's, this is a terrible event. And, but then he says to him, but, but then what happened? And said, so, well, then my dad took me to the doctor. And then, and then what happened? Well, then the doctor fixed my arm. And then what happened? Well, and then we got to go for ice cream. <laughs> and he, he tells a story basically how I, I wanted to teach my son how to tell the story of this event so this didn't become an event that left trauma, but an event where he realized I'm surrounded by people who will care for me and take care of me. And so, so often, you know, we tell stories that hurt us. We tell the story, I'm sick, I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I'm wronged, I'm a victim. And if we keep telling that story, that becomes the theme of our life. As long as we tell that story. Or we, we can start telling a new story. But to tell a new story, we have to be willing to let go of our old story. And that's hard if our identity is tied up in that story. Advent is about a new story. It's about a story about sinful, broken, fallen man living in darkness. But Advent is a story of those who are in darkness have seen a great light. That God has come to change the story. He's come to change so that you're no longer the victim, but you're the overcomer so that you're no longer the sick, but you're the healed. You're no longer the broken, but you're the bound. It's the, the story of I'm chosen, I'm not forsaken, I'm called. I am favored of the Lord. That's almost hard to say out loud. It feels pretentious to say that out loud, to say I am blessed and highly favored of God. Just try that. That's it. I am blessed and highly favored of God. It almost feels arrogant to say that, doesn't it? But that's what the Bible says you are. So why do we have a hard time saying it? Because we've told the other story to ourselves for so long that we have a hard time believing his story. Here's God's story in John chapter 1. It says, To all who received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. That's your story. You receive him. You've been given a power to become his child. Joy grows when we tell the right story to ourselves. When we tell the right story to ourselves, joy takes root let's stand up and I want to, if we can just close our eyes and just take a moment I want to pray 
I want to pray for us because as, as we go from this place, there's going to be stories playing. Some of them have been on repeat for a long time. Some of them will be new stories that will come at us from out of the blue. But Father, I pray that we would be good at listening to the right story. That we would be good at listening to your story, what you, who you say we are, but also who you say our neighbor is. Also who you say our family is or our friends are. And Father, that we would, we would allow our hearts to get centered on your theme that says we're called, we're chosen, we're not forsaken, we haven't been abandoned, and that you're faithful. We are blessed. We're highly favored. Not just highly favored when we get everything right, because we have never in the history of mankind got everything right. You've still chosen to, put you, to, to bless us and love us and choose us and pour your favor on us. So Father, we pray that as we, as we go from this place and as we, as we interact during this week, that we would tell the right story about ourselves, about our neighbors, about our family, about our friends, and that we would allow your story to be that which rules in our lives, that we allow our lives to live. Thank you, Father. Father, give us the wisdom to know where, where stories are dangerous. Give us the wisdom to spot where we're being pulled in to a, to a way of thinking that isn't going to be healthy. Give us the wisdom Give us the wisdom to see what's happening around us and be bringers of life and not just, not just reactors to the stimulus that's around us, but bringers of the peace and the calm. Thank you, Father. You know, I just want to pray another prayer. Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you're walking or walking online, which would be great. Uh, if you're getting that first exercise step in right now, maybe you're watching online and you're thinking, you know, I've, I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never said yes to his plan or purpose. And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's just that saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to his, his plan, saying yes to to his purpose. And if you want to be included in that prayer, uh, you can just join us as we pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, I say yes to you. I want to live in your story for my life. I want to follow you. I want to know your purpose. I want to experience your favor and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.